Hello, all you beautiful Charlestonians. This is Steve Fletcher, your host of Small Talk's Big Ideas with Steve, a production of Low Country Local First. I'm super excited about today's chat. We've got here live at OM 96.3 FM Studios, Mr. Rick Crawford. Rick Crawford is the founder and president of Emerger Strategies. They're a really cool company headquartered right here in Charleston, South Carolina. It's all about helping other companies reach their sustainability goals. So as you can imagine, we'll do a whole lot of talking about sustainability. We'll do some talking about Rick, his company, his cool Hawaiian shirt that he's wearing for us today. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Rick, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm sure I'm missing some pieces. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, thanks for having me on, on the show. And uh, yeah, I guess just a little bit of additional background. Um, you know, I, I started my company in 2016, but sort of what, what led up to that was um, I randomly moved out to Wyoming and got introduced to fly fishing and kind of became obsessed with it, maybe perhaps unhealthily obsessed. <laughs> um, but what I really liked about it was learning about entomology and how uh, mm. the, the life of insects which if you fly fish, you know that an emerger is the life cycle stage of an insect, a mayfly. Got it. I was wondering <laughs> about that company name. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, so, um, so uh, anyway, long story short, I uh, wound up after spending about seven or eight years in sustainability. I, I had gone back to school and got an MBA in sustainable business and cool. um, installed some solar panels when I was out in Wyoming. Oh, wow and then moved back east to savannah where i'm from originally and work at a biodiesel startup um for a year they went out of business um after a year so that was a cool move uh -oh. had nothing to do with you coming on the team a year before <laughs> no. right? well that that gets better um <laughs> because that's what brought me to charleston and i worked for a green building software startup uh, and then they went out of business after three and a half years so i was thinking oh, either dang. i'm the cooler <laughs> Or I need to <laughs> pursue another career path. This really isn't it isn't boding well. I love um, how you went from the biodiesel industry to like green a green company. It was to maybe cleanse your soul a little bit. No, you know, no I'm no. sure both companies were incredibly, uh, incredibly, uh, you know, good solid companies doing good things for the world. I, I say that only in jest. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, but. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, in, in hindsight, I'm grateful that those things happened because I, I, I launched um, Emerger Strategies in 2016, and I started after assessing the fly fishing industry, mm -hmm. um, thought, hey, I think there's an opportunity to help some of these companies clean up their own act. And so kind of mirroring what I'm passionate about, fly fishing and sustainability, I, I started going after them. Um and yeah, since then I've, I've done everything, uh, from helping these companies go zero waste and carbon neutral to, uh, I, I launched the, the fly fishing climate Alliance in 2020, um, which is made up, we started with about 16 members. Now we have over 50 that are, uh, fly fishing guides, shops, lodges, brands, huh. and nonprofits committed to going carbon neutral by 2030. Wow. And also uh, have a so podcast. That, that, that's an alliance. So tell me more about that piece yeah. right there. That sorry, you, that's in partnership with an organization, or that's just your. That's just so. Basically, what happened is, I was going after these companies, and it was good for these individual mm -hmm. businesses, right? And I could do that indefinitely, but 
is that really moving the needle on climate? Like, is it, is it, is it more helpful to help a handful of companies every year do that? Or what if we were all working towards the same goal as, as an organ, as a uh, industry? Sure. And so that was sort of the idea and, um, had been to a trade show and uh, this was pre-COVID and and had gotten uh, some positive responses. And so I launched it during COVID for for lack of having nothing better to do. (laughs) Um, But it's been really cool because, uh, you know, with with carbon neutrality, by the way, and and, and for those who are listening who might not know what that means, basically, first thing you need to do is measure your, your carbon footprint. And that's everything from your internal operations, your purchase electricity, all the way through your value chain. Hmm. Um, and then the, the idea is that, you know, you, once you've measured it, you can manage it. Right. And so that's when you focus on greenhouse gas reduction strategies. Um, then you ultimately do reach a point where there are unavoidable emissions. And so you can purchase carbon offsets or credits for the balance. And that ultimately leads you to carbon neutrality. So what you're doing is there are these, you know, there are these pieces of information out there circulating in, in the cosmos, uh, in society about how individuals can, given the, you know, seemingly insurmountable, um, you know, obstacle that human-made pollution and things like climate change pose to businesses, people, societies, you're taking that information, right, that, that, that scientists and ecologists and environmentalists have uh, chanced upon or worked to discover, and you're sort of, you're doing a few things with it, it sounds like, tell me where I'm wrong, but you're, you're sort of packaging it up in a more palatable, edible way for businesses who don't have all the time or expertise or ability to do that. So you're taking it, you're bringing it to them, finding them where they are, and it sounds like maybe suggesting ways, customized ways that their business specifically can take that information to make their business operations and the way they do things a little bit more environmentally friendly, a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, hundred percent on, on with the fly fishing climate Alliance and in, in a broader sense with working with companies outside of fly fishing, uh, it's the same thing. You know, what, what I have found is that there's a lot of particularly small to medium enterprises mm-hmm. Um, who they, they don't know, like, what are the categories we should be measuring or, like, what are the KPIs of sustainability? And Got so it. it's like, well, what does that mean in the context of when we talk about sustainable business, mm-hmm. the, you're, you're looking at measuring not only a healthy economic bottom line, but also an environmental and social bottom line. Right. So examples of uh, an environmental bottom line would be uh, your carbon footprint, um, or how much waste you're sending the landfill. Uh, examples of a social bottom line would be everything from pay, uh, paying your employees a livable wage um, to community impact through volunteering um, or monetary donations through nonprofits. And I mean, those are just small examples of that, right. but helping businesses understand how to measure that and then improve it so that year over year they're seeing that improvement, they can reduce their carbon footprint and the the reason that, and I'll just throw this stat out there because it's it, yeah, please. It, it, if you follow the science, what the science says is, 
in order for us to avoid catastrophic effects of climate change. Not to be Debbie Downer, I've got some good things to say That's too. That's all right. But, wait, wait. You're not. <laughs> but, you're not. You're not dropping any bombs yeah. on most people. I think. Yeah, go on. But. Um, it's been and, a rough but, few years anyway, so we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're resilient people. Go on. And it's a Monday, so, so here we <laughs> go. Um, but in order to avoid catastrophic effects of, of climate change, we have to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by 2030, so the end of this decade. Wow. And so be, based on where we are, that number needs to be cut in half. By 2030. Yeah, I think it's actually below 2015 levels, maybe. But okay, um, so we've maybe done a little bit. Right? Yeah, we've, we've reduced it like a percent. So we got to do the the other 49 between but, now and then. But no one's really doing anything. Right. <laughs> so um, that that's where I'm. Uh, what I'm trying to do is is ultimately protect what I love. Which when I started my business was, I just fell in love with with fishing and. Um, like I said, that, that, that whole process, and that has obviously evolved now that I have children, and I want to make sure that we're able to go out and catch redfish and, yeah. and blue crabs and, and, and live the low-country lifestyle that, that we all love here. Well, speak, talking about climate change and redfish, the color red, we're in a red state. I don't want to get too into politics, but I think it is interesting to me that you know this what you were doing is something that presumably could be communicated to any business and regardless of whether that business's owner is is left-leaning or right-leaning or moderate or something entirely else uh there's something in it for them so to speak right there's something at stake for them how do you depoliticize the issue of sustainability and communicate it to businesses in a way where they can get on board well it, it, that's that's pretty easy because it, it there's a real business case for it. Um, aside from mitigating risk associated with climate change, um, there is, at the, at the end of the day, your investors want to know what you're, where you are with that because that's increasingly important. Your customers, I think the, one of the recent stats that I read is, you know, 63% of consumers are going to support businesses that align with their own values. Wow. So yeah, you, it's been growing fast. Yeah. And so you, so you, your customers want to know, uh, your employees, um, attracting and retaining talent. Um, they want to work for companies that are doing the right thing. Hmm. And then you also have improved financial performance. Um, particularly there, you know, a lot of people associate, well, if I'm going to reduce my carbon footprint, that's going to cost me money. Hmm. Um, but, and the reality is particularly if you're a manufacturer, and you have high energy costs, if you use renewable energy, you're gonna significantly reduce your operational costs and your carbon footprint. So it's a, it's a win-win for the environment uh, and for your business. And so those are you know, uh, increasing competitive advantage. Um, you know, this will become more and more common where it's not as quite a competitive advantage, but we're not there yet, unfortunately. Wow, yeah, that's uh, well put. So. Uh... Business owners, business owners out there, particularly those of you listening in right now, whether it's live or on the podcast, take note. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, kind of compelling ways, as Rick just put it, uh, to communicate out to investors, to your customers, to prospective staff. Um, you know why sustainability is an important piece of the puzzle at your business. So, talk to me, Rick, about the sorts of companies, the sorts of businesses that emerger strategies, which is your 
company works for. And first off, Emerger Strategies is sort of like this consulting firm. Is that right? I mean, you all kind of tell folks how they can reach their sustainability goals. You obviously walk them through a process to presumably determine what sorts of goals are most near and dear to their hearts. Um, so let me know kind of what you consider you all, because I think that's interesting. And then uh, and maybe maybe our listeners do as well. Who knows? I'm just uh, <laughs> just going for it. Taking the bull by the horns, determining what people will think is interesting. Um and then secondly, like I mentioned, just curious what sorts of businesses are currently in your portfolio, what sorts of size, what sort of industry, that, that type of thing. Yeah, so so initially it was uh, a lot of fly fishing and outdoor type companies. Oh, it was, okay. Um, so that's who I, I started going after because I thought that if your business is dependent upon a natural resource like fish, then it would make sense for you to act responsibly to protect that. And since climate change is a threat to fish, it would make sense that you would want to uh, reduce your carbon footprint. The, the, serendip the serendipitous fly fishing experience out in the West that you had, the Western U.S. that you had, sounds like it, it had a pretty big impact. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about that because it, it literally changed the trajectory of your life. And, and you keep drawing everything back to fly fishing. I know a few people who do fly fish. I've never done it. But th there must be something there that's almost like, it's almost like spiritual or cosmic because the folks who talk about it similar to how you're talking about it it's more than just throwing you know a line out it's about it's some sort of communion with nature and there must be some sort of epiphanous moment where you're like wow okay i need to continue i need to do my part to ensure that this is here i don't want to put words in your mouth yeah no i mean that i mean you're right it's it it basically is a uh introduction to systems thinking Hmm. Um, so if you know what types of bugs are hatching or are in the river, um, you know, you can pick up a rock and see the different types of bugs that are crawling around, whatever's most abundant, they're going to eat, the fish are going to eat. Um, so then you can put on a fly that mimics that and then you catch it and it works. And so you're like, that's sort of like the, <laughs> oh my gosh, uh -huh, this is awesome. Moment. Like, yeah. this is so cool. Like I figured it out. Cool. And so, um, that whole process is really enlightening and and uh there is a steep learning curve it is frustrating you spend most of your days um pulling your fly out of trees and untying knots but um when it finally does come together and you have some level of consistency you're like all right i'm gonna do this forever and 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 you never stop learning that's probably another thing I mean, yeah. you, you know you don't ever like oh i figured it out it's <laughs> right. like it's it's the different river, the different conditions, you know, when we do the same thing here for redfish, it's, you're just tying a different type of fly or throwing a different type of fly that looks like, well, what, are the, what do redfish eat? They eat shrimp and crabs. Okay, well, I'm going to throw a fly that looks like that and get it to eat. Right. Um, so you, you start to understand systems um, in a different way and then to connect with those fish. And there's also a conservation ethos in, in fly fishing of, um, you know, taking only what you need or catch and release, mm -hmm. um, taking care of the fish if you're going to release it. So keeping the fish wet, um, you know, and, and like once you've caught it. Yeah. It. So, you know, I mean, if you're going to do a grip and grin, I guess, you know, you take a quick photo, but you want to make ensure that the fish um, is able to survive. And, you know, I'm look, I've, I've, I've eaten redfish that I've caught. I've eaten trout that I've caught. That That's certainly fun, but it's not about filling your cooler. It's about. Right 
hey, I'm going to go eat dinner tonight. Right, you know? fill in your belly yeah. if you need it. But 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 primarily it's a it's a catch and release sport. So there's kind of these this uh, conservation ethos that's entrenched in it. Well, and for folks who are like horrified by the prospect of eating fish that they catch, uh, but also eat fish from big box grocery stores, I'm sure you'd have some interesting uh, pieces of information to share with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, look, to, t- to tie this all together, really, if you think about it. So l- let's, let's say that we were looking at you as an individual and you were going, all right, I'm concerned about uh, climate change and its effect on world. I mean, we see it in Charleston with sea level rise on sunny days and, and, and the right tide. So, I mean, we're, we're literally witnessing sea level rise yeah, in real time here. At the front lines. And so you're going, all right, well, what can I do? Um, you know, I think one of the, the, the first things you, you, everyone, everybody should do is contact your elected officials, no matter who you vote for and tell them we're demanding action. We want to know what you're doing. Um, but aside from that, let's say, all right, well, I had two choices to make. I could go to the store and, um, buy some fish that came from some Alaskan halibut would probably be the Mm -hmm. best example. So when you think about systems thinking and you think about carbon footprinting all the way through a value chain well there was probably diesel fuel that was burned on a fishing vessel in alaska that fuel had to be transported to alaska to Mm. get there that fuel had to be the oil and gas had to come from somewhere out of the ground Mm -hmm. so you're going all the way from extraction to transporting the fuel to alaska Mm -hmm. to burn on a fishing vessel to catch a fish to then transport to Charleston, what you wind up having is a pretty significant carbon footprint for a piece of fish. Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) Versus buying something locally um, that just inherently is going to have a smaller footprint because it doesn't have to travel as far. It's less resource intensive. Why else is buying local something that you should do if you consider yourself a sustainable person? Or you're someone who doesn't consider themselves particularly sustainable, but they they want to think in a more systems way and they want to be a better steward or steward of their community, of their environment. Um, we talk at Low Country Local first about all the different ways by local uh, lifts up a community. Um, but we don't always double click as much on kind of the sustainability angle, although it is there and we do communicate it out. It doesn't take up, you know, like a 70% piece of the pie. And so I, I love that you're here. I would love to chat more with you about why buying local just makes sense from a sustainability perspective. Yeah. I mean, th- so there's all sorts of stats on, I don't know what they are, but I know that they're out there. <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll do but, a stat check. Yeah. Yeah. But that but guy in the back it, is looking it up. It's, it's something, you know, however many X amount of dollars or, or whatever stay in the community when, when you buy local. So that in and of itself is a good thing if you want to build a resilient community um, who can, uh, different things happen, COVID happens, you know. So another mm-hmm. good example of that is um, what we've seen, particularly in the fishing industry or fly fishing industry, um, has been pretty significant supply chain disruptions. Mm. Uh, due to COVID, if you look at it from a, from a long-term perspective, what climate change is already doing is more frequent and intense uh, storms and hurricanes, and um, those can also disrupt supply chains. So, when you when you're buying local or you're sourcing local as a business, mm-hmm. you are not only uh, you have a smaller carbon footprint, most likely, but um, you're also building something that's more resilient. So you're not as Im- impacted 
um, by supply chain disruptions because they're local. Um, and it just so happens that local means shorter distance from A to B to get you what you need. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, you can look at that from a personal level from, you know, we were talking every Sunday, my wife and, and my kids, we go to the Sunday brunch farmer's market at the mm-hmm. poorhouse, and that's where we get our vegetables. That's where we get our meat. Love it. Um, and, you know, you get to know the farmers and know where your food comes from. And there's something um, very different than buying a, a, a piece of meat from a, a local farmer that's not on that's grass fed, that's not on some huge commercial farm somewhere that has all this horrible runoff and does all this terrible thing. It's just a local farmer. Yeah. You're keeping money in the community and at a shorter distance to travel. Yeah. It's a, uh, it just makes a ton of sense. It's a win-win. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of talking about that, particularly this time of year as we're gearing up for our eat, drink local month, something we've been doing really since the genesis of LLF as a nonprofit about 15 years ago. And it's just an opportunity to remind folks, particularly here in the low country over the course of May, it's usually in May, that it is important to intentionally shift a good percentage of your spending, if you can do it, to local food providers, to local farmers, to local ag, to the low country street grocery and Lindsay Barrow and everybody over there. Um, Just to local folks so that, like you're saying, Rick, that, that distance between the source and your plate is shorter. So it's less costly. It's more environmentally friendly. There's less stuff that can go wrong if there's unforeseen yeah. circumstances out of your control like COVID or like supply chain issues. So we do a lot of talking about why it's so important to eat local here. And, and we're lucky here. We've got, we've got so much beautiful produce and yeah. ways to eat locally and eat locally well um, that there's really just no excuse. It's a couple more bucks maybe out of your wallet, but you're, uh, you know, in the long run, the benefits are hard to deny, particularly if you're eating lettuce and, and vegetables that are pesticide free and are not modified in scary ways. And you know, the farmer, like you said, so there's an element of trust there, right? I think we forget about how important and how beautiful it is. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but to really, this is something you're putting in your body, right? This is something you're, you're nourishing your cells with, you are sustaining on this and you're just going to grab the closest thing to you in some shelf, in some nameless store provided by someone you've never met. It's, it's a little bit scary. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I don't want to cause mass hysteria and people, you know, there, there, are, there are checks and balances and there are agencies that ensure that there's quality there. I, I understand that particularly in this country. But there's, it's tough to replace that feeling of person-to-person trust that is built when you know your farmer, when you know your food provider, when you know your food packager. Um, And we like to say that that's the case in all B2B interactions. That's why we encourage local B2B interactions for many reasons. Um, But just to put a, you know, to put a fine point on it, um, Eat Drink Local Month ends with something we call Chef's Potluck, which is kind of the culmination of that month. We invite everybody to sign up for Chef's Potluck when those tickets come out. It's going to be the end of May, May 22nd at Firefly Distillery. And it's a great opportunity to come out and meet 25 of your favorite local chefs, maybe some chefs you don't know, some restaurateurs, some farmers. It's an opportunity for farmers to meet chefs. It's an opportunity for people to be, become aware of products, ingredients, stuff they didn't know was out there that it can be sourced locally and cost effectively. So it's a really fun time, and it's also just a you know, time to you know eat and drink local and listen to some great local music at a great local distillery in North Charleston Park Circle. So be on the lookout for Eat, Drink, Local Month and Chef's Potluck. 
If you want to sponsor, get in touch with me, Steve at lowcountrylocalfirst.org. Um, all right, I don't know where that came from. Uh, Rick, back to you. I want to I want to circle back. I know we were talking about briefly. I cut you off. I apologize. Businesses and organizations that you work with, you work for, you work alongside. What do they look like? Yeah, so it's really um, the the process that I go through with. Let's say that it. I, I, it's typically small to medium enterprises. Okay. Um, and they want to, they don't know where to begin. So, uh, the process that I've sort of developed over the years has been, let's start, let's create baselines with a sustainability assessment. So that's looking at, um, what they're doing or not doing related to governance, environmental and social. Um, so, okay, we have a baseline. Now we know we have some action steps we need to take, mm-hmm. then develop, a a five-year strategic sustainability plan um, where they can align their business with United Nations Sustainable Development Goals um, and think long-term, and those are like 2030 goals, um, but develop short, mid-term, and long-term sustainability goals that are achievable, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately drive positive impact. Um, Then I can do take them and to a greenhouse gas inventory um, without boring everyone to death. There, <laughs> there, there are three scopes to uh, greenhouse gas carbon footprint. Um, scope one is just your direct impact thing from company owned or controlled vehicles, for example. Scope two is always purchased electricity. Hmm. And scope three is sort of the, the bear, right? It's your entire value chain. So Got it. Um, entire supply chain. So um, run them through that to so that they understand where they can identify hotspots, mm-hmm. um, different, okay, here's areas we can focus on that are going to have the, the greatest reduction, um, align them with science-based targets. I'm getting out in the weeds here. But no, that, this that, is great. That's, no, I think we're with you. <laughs> that, that, that's how you can uh, keep things in line with the, with the Paris Agreement of one and a half degrees Celsius. Um, so anyway, um, we do that and then we compile all of that in a annual sustainability report that, um, is valuable for all stakeholders so that they can understand where the business is, um, the improvements they've made. And ultimately those, you know, we talk about like the additional business case that Mm -hmm. we talked about earlier. One of the most interesting, or I guess compelling business cases that, that I've found in working with my clients is the increase in customer loyalty. Hmm. And so those people will now, that same person who maybe was going to buy just a hat from you if you're an apparel company sure. is now going to buy them as gifts for their friends because they believe in what you're doing as a business. So huh. they believe in your brand. Um, so it's a, it, it, there's a real business case for it. And, and to get back to your, your question of it's small to medium enterprises, but it's companies like Z-Man Fishing. They're here in Charleston. Okay. They're, they're a lure manufacturer. Oh, nice. Um, rep your water. They're an apparel brand. Cool. Um, Flood Tide Company. They were my my first client. They're a fly fishing apparel brand here in in Charleston. And I'll I'll give a shout out if that's yeah. allowed to to, to my Please. buddy Paul Puckett, who's uh, right across the uh, right across the way here. Oh, Paul we Puckett can Art. we can see him. Yeah. Um. <laughs> if, we, if we wave through the home studio window, will he see us? Yeah, he's actually straight ahead. I don't know if he's looking out or listening, but. Um, <laughs> But anyway, and then everyone from, you know, I've got a, a, winer, a winery or winemaker in Napa Valley, Tarpon oh, wow. Cellars. Um, I've got uh, manufacturers like So Eurodrive. They're a South Carolina company. They make 
drivers. Um, so like when you go to the airport and your luggage comes around on a thing, they oh. make the things that make them, the drivers oh, like that the, make the, them go. The carousel. Yeah. Yeah. Dang, cool. Um, so really, I was of, thinking like golf, you're in the golf club <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, business, yeah. but no. Okay. Um, so, you know, I started with so you're truly national, you're cross country. Because you've got a client in California. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lodge in the Bahamas. Oh, what? You're uh, international. International. Excuse me. International. All right. Yeah. The, whole, the whole idea is that if I can figure out a, a way to get paid to fish, I will. <laughs> I knew we were getting there. There was something. The fly fishing was too important to, to, to your experience as a human being to just say, this isn't going to be an integral part of my profession. Okay. I hear you. I yep. see you. Um, yeah, that's so. When when folks think of an, an emerger strategies type business, I think they typically think, well, they're working with like heavy industry, right? But you're moving the needle for folks who are doing all different types of stuff. I mean, like if I'm a marketing agency, is there really anything I can do to be more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, you can do different, you know, sustainable office procurement. Um, if you have some sustainable procurement policies, that oh, sure. Can, that can affect, you could purchase green power through your energy provider. Um, so that's more your, okay. your scope too. But yeah, okay. there's, there's always things that, 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 that businesses can do. And sort of what I've found is that, you know, with the, say the Fortune 500 companies, um, which the reality is, is yeah, they make up a vast majority of, of greenhouse gas emissions. But it, it's about becoming the best version of yourself, not mm. unlike a person, you know, as a business, are we being the best that we can be? Are we being the best stewards, the best for society? Are we mm-hmm. equitable? These are all important questions and they're becoming due to everyone having access to the entire world in their hand. Um, businesses that don't get on board with, with this are going to get left behind. Huh. And do you think fortune 500 companies are no exception to that? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that it's the days coming where I think the there's, there'll be a carbon tax and um, it's going to be so it will become so costly for large emitters that they'll that will be their incentive to reduce. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was curious to know your, your perspective on whether it'll be if Fortune 500 companies will will change their mindset first and foremost at all. And then if so, whether it's the result primarily of you know sort of like policy change and pressure there or whether it's as you mentioned at the top of our conversation um you know folks kind of society and individuals as you just spoke about you know demanding that those fortune 500 companies change in various ways or whether it's some combination of the two i i think it's all those things and and i think that for for all the businesses who might be listening you know, um, who are going, well, well, maybe we don't have that big of a footprint or, or, or big of an impact. But, you mm-hmm. know, at the end of the day, 100 pennies make a dollar. And I think that that's the type of pressure and things that, that do move the needle when you get enough um, enough businesses behind and, and working towards common goals like carbon neutrality, which the science tells us we have to do. Um, huh. I think that it, it sort of creates this, this groundswell uh, movement that, uh, consumers get behind um, investors. So if you're looking for an exit strategy and want to get purchased by someone, it's probably smart to have a climate plan and a sustainability strategy. Sure, makes sense. Um, so there's there's a number of reasons to do it other than just the right thing or protecting what you love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's it's really important for small to medium enterprises to know that there are resources and companies available. If you're you know if you're like oh I would do that. 
if I only knew where to start, well, that's kind of what we do. If you're just tuning in, this is Rick Crawford with Emerger Strategies, really cool business that we here in the low country are lucky to say is based right here in our region. What a smart guy, and I'm really enjoying the conversation. We're going to continue on for a little bit longer, Rick, but I would be remiss to forget to mention that if you like the, uh, the timbre of Rick's voice or uh, the substance of what he's got to say, or, or both, you can listen to more Rick at his podcast called The Sustainable Angler. I'm looking at a really cool sticker on his thermos right now. Um, if you like stickers, you would like this sticker as well. Uh, so pop this sticker on your thermos. Other people learn about the podcast. They'll listen in. They'll learn about how to be more sustainable stewards of their community. Um, tell me a little bit about the podcast. If folks tune into the Sustainable Angler and listen to you talking about sustainability, what are some of like the different angles that you weave into any given episode? So the 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 whole show is really, if I had to boil it down, is about hope, right? Is because climate change you get beat over the head with this stuff and you're like oh my god like just just, just get get on with it yeah. but, but i try and interview people i've shed a who, few tears today yeah yeah um I, I try and interview people who um, are working to solve the climate crisis and have inspiring stories to tell sure um so that's everyone from i've had the the good fortune of of uh interviewing patagonia founder Avon chenard who's uh oh wow He's a hero of mine for, wow. for episode one. Um, we had Vincent Stanley uh, speak at the Good Business Summit two years ago in yeah. person. He was our keynote. I, I the chief philosopher, was... I think, or chief storyteller. I forget, I forget his title right now, but he was fantastic. Oh, Patagonia, great company. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I've definitely drawn a lot of inspiration from them. But the, the, the podcast... That's is cool an, that you got uh, that interview on your podcast. That's awesome. How'd you reach out? How'd you get, make connection with them? Uh Dumb luck. I met their marketing manager at a trade show and uh, emailed him. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Do you think anyone from Patagonia would be interested? And he was like, yeah, I think the boss would. I was like, (laughs) "Uh, what? Not the typical response to a cold call email, but that's Um, beautiful. So, so yeah. So, anyway, it's, it's everyone from businesses in the fishing industry to guides to nonprofits and you mentioned the stickers, and I'll and I'll have to mention this. Oh, uh, they're not available. No, no, no. Oh, okay. no. New ones are available, nice. and one dollar for every sticker sold goes to the Sustainability Institute. Nice. Um, Heck yeah. They're they're forty dollars uh, stickers, but uh, yeah, no, they're four thousand dollars stickers. But they're, <laughs> right. uh, um, but they're uh, Emerger Strategies. We're a one percent for the planet member, and so they are our local nonprofit partners. So we donate one percent of our sales to them. Tell me more about some of the partnerships because I was reading on your website. You're involved with a few different really impactful partnerships. 1% for the planet. would love to hear a little bit more about that and how other companies who might want to get involved might be able to. Um, you mentioned the f- sort of fly fishing alliance at the top of our conversation. I know there's like one or two more. I would love to just hear about all of the different uh, partnerships that you've hatched over the years. Yeah. So one, one of the things, so when I start like, so to go back to Avon Chenard, I mean, he's definitely if you haven't read his book, let my people go surfing and you're interested in sustainability or sustainable business. I think that's probably the top of my list. Yeah. Um, I was falling in love with fly fishing while I was reading that book. Oh, wow. And that was like the, Oh, that's what I want to do. Um, light bulb. Yeah, totally. And so, um, anyway, he and another, uh, angler called Craig Matthews, who, um, was a, a fly shop owner in Montana. They actually uh, co-founded One Percent for the Planet. 
Oh, wow. And so I had always, in the back of my mind, was like, if I ever own my own business, I'm definitely going to be a 1% for the Planet member. Um, so I, I launched that since inception, and I try and work with um, local nonprofits and national nonprofits, but I personally enjoy getting my hands dirty. I love uh, doing the oyster uh, reef rebuilds with the recycled oyster shells sure. and cleanups. And cool. so have worked with Charleston Surfrider, um, Low Country Land Trust, uh, Sustainability Institute, Charleston Waterkeeper. Nice. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and then I also plant 10 trees for every client every year um, oh, wow. through One Tree Planted oh, um, man, is, that's the, awesome. is the nonprofit. And I plant trees in Florida because they're the, the closest to us. It's just kind of a um, – I measure and have reduced my footprint, and I purchase carbon offsets to be a carbon-neutral business. Um, but that's just a way to give back because ultimately, uh, you know, I think what we're everyone's finding is that we, you know, we really need to – restore nature and the balance of nature um beyond just your your carbon footprint and that's just a a way to for me to be able to do that that's cool i mean it's very obvious just talking to you rick that you are you know you practice what you preach and and uh, you kind of you know assume a lot of responsibility as an individual citizen of the low country um and as a you know just a participating human being in in this this big human environmental experiment we call life on earth (laughs) um (laughs) So yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, I hear it loud and clear that, that this is more than just a business for you. This is a way of life. This is a means by which we can maybe just improve a little bit our corner of the world. Um, but in so doing, we've got to be, you know, uh, you know, cognizant of the fact that as you mentioned at the top, this is, this is the sort of pernicious multi-pronged obstacle climate, climate changes and, and environmental, um, degradation is particularly human made that can only be resolved through systems thinking through interconnectivity through collaboration through councils of government and through businesses and through individual action so i mean that that, that's awesome that you're kind of at the forefront of that so i I just wanted to thank you for uh for starting a company like Emerger, I think that y'all are doing some really cool stuff and you don't really hear every day about that sort of middleman or middle person between you know, the scientists and the companies. Sure, there are consultants here and there, but I think the world would be better served by more emergers out there. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, don't want to let you go. We still, got, we still got more time, so I want to wrap up a few things. Um, first and foremost, is there anything we haven't chatted about yet that you want to talk a little bit about? Well, I mean, one of the things that I'll just say, just kind of on this topic, being from Savannah, living in Charleston, that I think that resonates with, all companies that are, you know, potentially interested in sustainability is that, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing political about this. I love the low country. It's where where I'm from. I I have kids. I want them to be able to experience all these things. And so um, I just think that that's so important to remove barriers and talk about what are, what are the things that we all love? And you'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't love low country boil or an oyster roast or, these beautiful blooming azaleas that we have right now yeah. and, um, and living this low country lifestyle. And so, you know, I think that, um, you meet people on common ground and then get, get, get to work. And I have found through my experience that, you know, t- taking action just feels good. And, um, whether you're a company or an individual, it, it just is a, 
maybe selfishly a way to, to, to feel better about what's happening in the world. That's smart. That's, that's a wise way to put it. Yeah, I, it's, you're right. I think most folks who live here, whether they moved here or they were born here, um, and they may have the, their qualms with components of the low country, but I think at the end of the day, we can all agree it is environmentally and ecologically a beautiful place and a, a very fragile place as well. Yep. Um, and uh, I think it's, there's a case to be made that one, one way forward and one way to sort of depoliticize something that shouldn't be politicized in the first place, I agree with you, is just to stand back and, and to collectively take in the natural beauty that is the low country and understand that you know, it, it will only be here if we, if we let it be here, not even if we take certain steps. It's like there are things have been done that have not necessarily let it thrive in the natural way it should. And so there's things that maybe we need to do retroactively now, but, but at the end of the day, it, it's about living in symbiosis with nature. And, and I love everything you're doing for local businesses to help alert them to the ways that they can do that. Um, Rick, tell me a little bit about so LLF is all about local independent businesses. Um, we've got 500 businesses like yours who are members like yours is. Um, if you want to join, reach out to me or check out lowcountrylocalfirst.org. I'll, can I give a plug really quick? Please, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure. An unsolicited plug. I'm just going to say. Um, so I joined Low Country Local First, and if anyone's out there, I have been working from home through COVID for two years with uh, a three-year-old and a now one-year-old. And uh, challenging would would be an understatement. Um, and the co-working space at LLF has truly been nothing short of amazing. They're awesome. super nice um, facilities. And anyway, so appreciate when that. you when you when you said that, I'm sorry. No, I, I went that. for it. I'm giving the plug. So it's a, it's a great location. Appreciate that. Got my twenty dollars worth. Um, <laughs> No, thank you for that, Rick. Uh, yeah, we, we, we'd love for more folks to come join Rick and myself at the co-working space. We're right here near Ohm Studio, so we're very much a part of downtown Charleston. We're near a bunch of other local independent businesses, which you all should be patronizing, right on uh, Somerville Avenue, 1859 Somerville Ave. I can almost see our office from here. Yeah. We're, we're super close. Um, Rick, what was I asking you? I was going to, oh, so yeah, we're, we're a network of businesses at our core. Um, I speak with a lot of different business owners on any given week. Um, and a lot of different folks start a business for a whole lot of different reasons. What was your, re now obviously you, you are an individual who, as we've, we've talked about, is interested in moving the needle in, in, in an environmental sense. Um, but is that the only reason you started a business? There's ways to do that without starting a business, right? So what about actually, what, what, what in your blood is entrepreneurial and, and told you, Rick, you, you've got to move the needle environmentally, but you've got to, got to do so by, by actually creating your own enterprise. And so, you know, how did that come to be? So, well, it was from working for two businesses that went out of business outside okay. of my control. There you um, go. And so that was one uh, major driver is that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to be in con in control. That's kind of I don't know if that's the right word, but I wanted to be able. You to, want some autonomy, right? Yeah, I want to be able to move it in the direction that I want to move it in. And um, if it fails, then I take responsibility for that, and I'm okay. But if it doesn't, then I'm also okay with that. See, not everyone. That's not, and that's not everyone. I'd say that's actually a minority of people. Uh, but it's interesting. I mean, it takes a real kind of pioneering spirit. But also one that's willing to sort of fall on the sword if need be. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it just is what it is. I mean, the, the vast majority of businesses don't work out. So I feel really fortunate to be, uh, you know, I'm living my dream. I'm marrying fly fishing and sustainability, and not a lot of people can say that. And I'm just really grateful that I'm able to do that. Um, but then through that process, one of the unexpected things that I found was that I think that I um, love creating and I didn't realize that beforehand, like hmm. the, the creative process of everything from, or just figuring things out. Sure. Like, I don't know. Like, you started a podcast. You've like, obviously got a creative bent. Po- well, I, I don't know if it's any good, but I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but my little kids are finger painting and you've got kids, <laughs> you would know better than I, but you know, you, you, they're creative regardless of whether the painting turns out yeah, technically right, good. Right, right, right. That's kind of how my podcast is. Everyone's going to hate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a modern art piece then. Yeah, if yeah, like, if the yeah. intention is for people to hate yeah, it. Yeah. 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 No, but I, I just, I, I enjoy, um, I, I enjoy that process and figuring things out and problem solving, mm, sure. I guess is probably the way to describe it. But the, the motivation was initially, um, you know, I spent a lot of time camping and, uh, and fishing in Grand Teton National Park and in Montana. Mm, beautiful. And, yep. Big sky um, country. Yeah. And that's the, you know, when you're sort of fortunate to be able to do those kind of mm-hmm. things, you realize that if. If there aren't people there to protect them, they will get taken away. Yep. Um, and so that was the initial motivation for wanting to explore sustainability. Mm-hmm. Failed startups led to, okay, I want to be behind the helm right. and have sort of in, enjoyed the process of problem solving and the creative process of sure. figuring stuff out along the way. It's been fun. What scares you about having your own business? Do you have employees? Um, I don't, I contract out some okay. work. Um, so less scary, <laughs> yeah. um, one less thing is scary, yeah. way, way less scary, but yeah, I mean, what, what scares me? Um, yeah, I've, I've certainly had some, some bleak months, <laughs> sure. um, and I have kids. So, sure. sure. Um, well, there's that risk part you're talking about. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it, it's, a it's a bit of a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I just kind of feel like if you're going to, like, if you're going to bet on someone, why wouldn't you bet on yourself? Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you bet on a local independent business? So folks listening in right now, of which there are many, hopefully, hopefully millions. Um, and if not millions, we're going to shoot this out all over the internet in podcast form. By the end of the day, who knows how many folks will have listened to your story. But the point is, how can we support a great local independent business like Emerger Strategies? Uh, well, you can just come check out my website. It okay. is uh, www.emergerstrategies.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-E-R strategies.com. Uh, come check it out. See, um, I'm happy to do a, a free 30-minute consultation if anybody wants to just call and um, explore if sustainability might be right for their business. Um, cool. Answer a few questions and just start there. Cool. And, and no business is, is, uh, is outside the bounds in terms of size or stage or industry. No, no, it's a, it's a, uh, there are customizable plans, but to get started, the process is the same. Sure. And you're, and you're, and as you mentioned at the beginning, I mean, folks who engage in a contract with you or relationship or partnership with, with a merger will be 
doing something beneficial for the planet, but also will potentially also monetarily benefit, right? I mean, there can be ways to become more sustainable that also puts more money back into your coffers. It may be indirect, right? It may be like, well, I'm having a really time, hard time hiring folks right now, which a lot of folks are. Um, if I sort of lead with our values, one of which is sustainability, well, maybe it'll be easier to bring people in the door who are going to stay for longer. And at the end of the day, that helps my, my bottom line. So it may be indirect and it may take a minute, as you've mentioned in so many words. Um, but, you know, folks are going to benefit one way or the other from partnering up with a company like a merger. So there's almost, I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, just cheerlead you nonstop, but I got to say it doesn't make sense to me why a business who hasn't taken sustainability goal setting seriously doesn't make sense to me why they wouldn't reach out to a company like yours, particularly if you're local. So listen, if you're in the low country right now, you're listening in, reach out to my man, Rick Crawford. The Sustainable Angler is his podcast. Emerger Strategies is his company. He's going to help you identify and reach some great sustainability goals and make sure that you end the year feeling good about yourself, feeling good about the company, and hey, maybe you'll even have a couple more shekels in your pocket. You mentioned earlier 100 pennies are in a dollar. I've got to look at our books as I sell some of that merch <laughs> at Local Works. Um, I didn't know that. Uh, Rick, we're, we're up against time here, but listen, I want to give you the last word. I just want to thank everybody who's been listening in for doing so. Again, I am Steve Fletcher. This is Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve, a bi-monthly radio show and podcast from your friendly faces over at Low Country Local First. We're a local economic development nonprofit here in the Low Country of South Carolina. I'd be remiss to not give a big, big thank you so much. Uh, thank you to Ohm Radio, the community-centered, uh, community-supported radio station here in Charleston, South Carolina, right here on Meeting Street. They do a fantastic job. They bring you. They do a fantastic job in spite of bringing you programs like mine. Um, <laughs> no, they're they're phenomenal in all seriousness. Uh, Vicky's, Andrina, the whole team, everybody behind the soundboard and the microphone, they make it happen here. Y'all are very lucky to have community-supported radio like this here in Charleston. Do not take it for granted. Find any way possible to support them. It is important. It's needed now more than ever. There's a conglomeration of big media out there. If you're not hearing every voice every opinion and you don't feel like you have a ready reliable way to provide yours well then what are we doing how is this actually a society of the people for the people so support media reform sc support ohm 96.3 fm it's awesome we have them here uh rick i'm gonna hand it over to you just for the last word parting thoughts let us have it all right um well first and foremost thank you for having me of course i, I appreciate the opportunity thanks to ohm radio um i'll echo everything steve said and um, in addition to, to local, right? I mean, if we, we continue down this sort of, th this path, everything's going to be a big box store. So if we want, yeah. um, if we want local and independent and unique and regional, yeah. um, then we've got to, we got to go local. So, here, here. um, support your local nonprofit, support local businesses, support local radio. Um, let's get out there and get after it. All right. Thanks so much, Rick. You take care. All right. Thanks. <laughs>